We've been in a sermon series called Jesus Stories. And as I shared with you over the last couple of weeks, one of the powerful ways that Jesus would teach is through story. And we find that, you know, story is still such a relevant thing, even in our culture today. You think about how much money is spent on the movie industry and and books being published. And, you know, you have Amazon.com that started off as a online bookseller before that was even a thing. What were they doing? He was he was selling books, stories to people who wanted to connect with those stories, fiction, nonfiction. And so there's something about the power of a story, a narrative that that brings us into a deeper understanding, a deeper truth. And over the last couple of weeks, what we've looked at is we've looked at the way that Jesus would have crowds that would gather around him. And instead of just, you know, preaching and teaching fact by fact by fact about the kingdom of God and who God is, he would he would draw from the imagery of the landscape around them. He would draw from the the elements of, of everyday life. And we looked at over the last couple of weeks, you know, Jesus using parables that were focused on very earthy things like soil and and seeds and lamps with lights and how it shines and shines in the darkness. Just very elemental, basic things. And even today the parable we're gonna look at brings us into something quite simple and yet shows us something so profound. And what Jesus is doing through all of this is he is helping the, the world around him in the ancient times, but then also for us as we read the scriptures to come into this deeper understanding of who God is, who God is through him, Jesus Christ, and the fulfillment of that. You know, the scriptures tell us that in Jesus Christ, the invisible was made visible, was able to be seen. And so as Jesus embodied that, he used storytelling, parables, as I share with you, about a, a third of the gospels is made up of, of these stories that Jesus is using to communicate a truth about God. And so as we step into the scriptures, one of the things that we're doing is we're stepping into a moment with Jesus where we allow ourselves to hear and receive from him again. When we read the parables, um, we're, we're kind of listening in two ways. One is, is listening, God, what are you speaking to me? What are you showing me about what you desire to do in me? But then also listening for what it means for our world and our responsibility to, to one another, to our, to our community, to those that we live alongside, that work alongside, those that are in our family relationships, in our sphere of influence. And so as we listen to the stories of Jesus, we're listening first for how it transforms us, but then we're also listening for how it empowers us for what Jesus desires to continue to do through this world. And so as you prepare to read the scripture this morning, if you'll open your, your Bible, whether it's on your phone or in your hand, um, to Luke chapter 13. And as we look at Luke's gospel, this is Luke chapter 13. It's a little bit further into Luke's gospel and the story of Jesus. And Jesus has been in, in ministry all throughout Israel. He's been traveling to different places, and he's been ministering. People have been experiencing um, miracles through Jesus, Jesus healing people, bringing people back from the dead, um, just doing some really amazing things, restoring eyesight, and all the while, he's teaching. And what is he doing when he's teaching? He's empowering not just his immediate disciples, those 12 disciples that you think of when you think of, you know, the, the Bible movies and the guys in the, I always call them Bible bathrobes, you know, they're like, they, it looks like they're out, you know, in, in the bathrobes. And, but he's not just speaking just to those immediate followers, but what he's doing is he's instructing for anyone who would call themselves a follower of Jesus. So last Sunday, we had water baptism. And in a moment of being water baptized, it's a moment of saying that I'm declaring that I no longer am following myself as the lead of my life, but I'm saying that that old me has died, and now I'm a new person in 
Christ Jesus, and I'm following him. And so as we read the Gospels, what we do is we allow ourselves to enter into the story of Jesus. We, we put ourselves in that, that crowd, that, the audience around Jesus, and we allow him to speak to us. And then the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does and illuminates and bring the scriptures alive to us. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at this parable that Jesus shares. And it's very simple, just a few verses. And then we're going to zoom out a little bit and we're going to look at the greater context of why Jesus was sharing this when he was sharing it. And then we're going to receive from the Holy Spirit speaking to us and encouraging us. So let's look at Luke chapter 13, looking at verse number 18, and we have it for the screen as well. It says, then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? And it's kind of like, he's like, he's looking around like, how can I help you understand? And then he says, it's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and then becomes a tree and the birds make nests in its branches. And so we could pause there just for a second. And he's done it again, where he takes a very simple thing and he creates this image in our mind. And so for any of those listening to Jesus' story, that, that original time, that first time as he's speaking this parable, you know, they would go, oh, mustard seed, yeah, I got it. Yeah, it grows in the ground. Yeah, it does, it does grow kind of big in the birds. Okay, I get it. But then he continues, verse 20. He also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It's like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put in only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And then the scripture continues and says, and then he went throughout the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. And so in this moment, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's saying, what is the kingdom of God like? What is this thing that, you know, seems kind of like outside of our understanding? Like, what is it truly like? And for a lot of his, his hearers in that day, in that time, he, he was speaking to people who would have been ethnically Jewish, and they would have been raised in a culture where from the time that they were children, they would have been hearing about the kingdom of God. They would have been hearing about the rule and the reign of Yahweh and how they regularly practice this rhythm of, of Shabbat, Sabbath, and, and times of slowing down and having regular rhythms and breaks. And, and so in their mind, they culturally would have had an understanding of God and who God is and what it means to know God. But yet, what is Jesus doing? He says, what is the kingdom of God like? And it's almost like he pauses when he asks the question. And then he says, well, let me illustrate it for you this way. The, the kingdom of God is... It's like a mustard seed. It's like something, something so simple. It's something so small, and yet it, it, it grows into something so, so big compared for what it starts with. Now, what's interesting about the scriptures is we have the four gospels. These are the, the four stories of Jesus that are captured in our scriptures, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As each one of them tells the story of Jesus, three of the four of them have this same parable in it. So as they each have their own remembrance of, of Jesus' life and the, the life that they're telling of Jesus, they're not all identical, and they don't all include the exact same stuff, and sometimes it's a little out of order. But the gospel writers and the recollection and the, and the telling and trying to capture the power of who Jesus is, they felt that this one small parable was so important that three out of the four said, we've got to make sure this one gets in there. So it kind of helps us like pause for a second and realize, okay, there's something in this that we need to understand. There's something in this that, that is helping us um, comprehend something bigger than, about who God is. And it, it all starts again with this, this single seed. 
You know, a mustard seed, I, I was going to try to find one, but they're so small um, that I was like, well, I could have one, and then I could like, try to hold it and show you. But kind of picture, how many love lemon poppy seed, like muffins, stuff like that, right? Okay. So, uh, you know, mustard seeds are kind of on that scale of the poppy seed. Like, they're little tiny. And in the, in the ancient context, you know, it, when it would be planted, it would grow, and it would grow sometimes to a plant that's almost like six feet tall. I think we have an image for it to, yeah, on the screen there. It, it, it would grow pretty big. And now there's some debate, you know, in historical, like, biblical studies context of saying, okay, did people really plant mustard seeds in their garden? I mean, it grows so big, and it would overtake things, like, and trying to debate the nuances of this story. But, and what is being said here is, is Jesus capturing, again, an element of something that's small, that, that grows into something big. And what he's trying to help his hearers understand is that as this, as this plant would grow, and it would grow to something that looked almost like a tree, its growing would grow to a place where it could become a place of safety, a place of refuge, a, a shelter where birds could even come and, and live in the branches, or maybe other little animals could scurry up underneath. And, and it would be this, this kind of umbrella covering. And so as he describes the kingdom of God, he's helping to bring his hearers into this place of understanding that the kingdom of God is something that as it, as it grows, as it expands, it, it becomes this, this place of support, safety, shelter, refuge. It's alive. It's growing. You know, as, it, and as I said, it could grow sometimes up to being like six feet tall, like, like big plant that would grow. And then he, he jumps and he says, well, let's, let's take it a step further. What else is the kingdom of God like? It's like, like yeast or like leaven that would go into some dough. And, and again, those that are, that are bakers, that, that cook, you know, it only takes like a little bit of yeast and a lot of bit of dough to make it do what it needs to do. And the main thing that it takes for yeast to do what it does is what? Time. It just needs time. The right type of, the, you know, setting in the, in the dough and it's soft and you just leave it and you set it. And then as the, the yeast kind of works through it, it starts to, to create the bubbles that then cause it to expand and, and to, to um, what's that called? Rise. Thank you. Oh my, I was like, this, this action, rise. Um, the yeast works through the dough and it starts to rise. And so again, in an ancient context, bread, I mean, Bread, water, shelter, like, like very basic elemental things. And especially in the culture that, that Jesus was living in, where there was empire, where there was, um, you know, outside forces that are ruling and reigning, those that c controlled the food were those that were in power. So one of the things that outside empires would do when they would come in first is take control of people's food supply. Because if you could control whether or not people eat, you control the people. And so Jesus, he, he takes again this thing that's not a small thing. To us, we're like, oh yeah, yeast, you know, go to the baking aisle, pick up a packet and do the thing. But that's not what it's about. What it's about, again, is bringing people into this place of like, like baking, feeding your family, like yeast. Like this is an important part of the function of our culture and the function of how we live. And so part of what Jesus is wanting them to see, again, is something that's so small, that's really invisible, like it's happening on a small, almost like molecular level, the yeast as it's working and creating the gas to cause the, the dough to rise, like something is happening and we just have to allow it some time to happen. So again, Jesus is saying, what is the kingdom like? Like the kingdom of like, what is the kingdom of God like? It's something that, that it's, it's pervading and like once it's in the dough, like it can't be separated, it's permeated through and through. And then it has this irreversible effect on the flour, on the dough. 
It becomes this catalyst for change that starts happening, and it transforms this dough into something else that's ready to then have its impact to feed, to, to be sold, to provide. Like there's this thing that starts to happen where, again, through time and allowing it to work, something is happening. And so we have to realize for us as modern hearers of these stories, sometimes we miss the nuance that's there. Especially for us in a Western context, we can think, we can get into a mindset of thinking of it almost like process, right? Like the seed goes in the ground, then the seed grows, and then the mustard tree comes out, and then there's this tree, and then the birds come, and we can kind of get in this like sequential thing. Or even with the dough, we can be like, oh, well, the, the leaven, the yeast has to go in, and then there's a thing, and then it says, and that's not, Jesus isn't bringing them into a place of saying, you know, understand process and, and let the process happen. What he's saying is he's wanting them to experience the tension of what seems so small having an outcome that is way beyond what its beginning is. He's wanting them to feel that in, in just a few short lines of this parables, uh, to feel this tension that exists of like, you know what, you're right. How does something so small, that seems so insignificant, turn into something that is so great? Something that seems so hardly even observable, or maybe it's just kind of taken for granted that it happens, but yet it turns into something that is the greatest of things. It's so significant that basically the end is out of proportion with the beginning. And so as we see these stories, Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God, and he says this in other places, the kingdom of God is here and it's now. It's starting in him and him being there in his presence, like setting off this chain reaction of something happening. And so when he's talking about what is the kingdom of God, what he's talking about is helping his, his, um, his hearers realize that something has already happened by Jesus being there, and then again, for us, his eventual death and resurrection. But then there is something else that is still unhappening and unfolding that brings us into the end of time when Christ comes again and understanding that the end is so much greater than what we think the beginning was. We think of Christmas time, a baby in a manger who becomes savior of all. Like this is the Jesus story that he's trying to capture once again to help his hearers understand that there is something happening here that we have to slow down and recognize that as the kingdom of God works, it works in us kind of like yeast. Where it's got to sit. It's got to take its time. It's got it's to work to then begin to rise and rise in us. So when we put things in their right perspective, when we hear these Jesus stories, part of what's happening is our heart should be moved to the power of what Jesus is displaying here. It's like through, through one mustard seed, Jesus, all are welcomed home and are safe in the branches of God's kingdom. The birds have a place of shelter and safety. You know, think of it in like the yeast, like Jesus becomes the yeast in the dough, and as it permeates, all are touched. All are impacted by it. Like that's this image that Jesus is creating. And yet in this, part of what he's bringing his, his hearers into is understanding that the way that God's kingdom works so many times is in a subtle way. Even in nonviolent ways where God reaches God's purposes and goals and it's happening and it's happening continually through us. But because we're in the daily grind, we don't, we don't think about it. We don't see it for what's happening. And it really cuts against our human way of thinking and, and really what's taught to us in this world. And yet Jesus is showing, you know, the presence of God, the power of God in this world. It is transforming. It is bringing about growth. And it's, it's doing it in ways that we can't even understand and we can't see. And we have to kind of zoom out and see the beginning and the end all at the same same time and realize, God, there is something amazing and powerful being part of your kingdom. And yet, when we look at this, we realize that what Jesus is preaching here was controversial. 
for, for his day and his time, and especially the religious leaders that are hearing him preach it, and then what his actions and his behaviors were, were setting him up for the violence that would be the end of his, his earthly life. Like the, the things that he was preaching, like we talked about last Sunday, when he called himself the light of the world, what was happening there was he was cutting against religious status quo. He was cutting against what the religious kingdoms of this world had already created and set up. And so as all of those kind of religious earthly kingdoms were existing, there was a whole culture that was built around things functioning the way that they were supposed to. And Jesus comes in like yeast and begins to change. Or, or Jesus is on the scene and like that, that um, mustard seed going into the ground begins to grow and something new begins to rise. So let's, let's actually look at the bigger context of when Jesus is teaching this and see what he's responding to when he begins to tell this parable. Back up with me in Luke chapter 13 to verse number 10. So Luke 13, verse number 10, the scripture says this. It, it kind of gives a context for where Jesus is as he's telling it. It says, one Sabbath day, so note Sabbath. The day of rest, a day is a holy day, religious day, the day of Sabbath, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been doubled for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said, dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. Oh, how she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue, the religious leader, was indignant that Jesus had healed her when? On the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord Jesus replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day, talking to the religious leaders. Don't you untie your ox or, or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? The most holiest, most religious of days, even on the Sabbath, shouldn't she be healed? And so you can experience in this moment where all of a sudden, can you imagine being in the crowd? And like, here's Jesus, who's Jesus? And he's teaching in the synagogue and he heals someone. First of all, heals someone. She's set free from the oppression, from the sickness in her body. Everybody's amazed. And then here comes the loud mouth. Wait a minute. This is the sad. You can't do that here. You're going against the rules. That's not the order. That's not, you've got six other days, like, and trying to like undermine the power of what just happened. And then Jesus responds and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I hear what you're saying. But understand there's something greater that's happening here. And then the next thing that happens this is, after this story is verse number 18, where he responds and he says, after, after all of this, like this frustration, the scripture says um, in verse number 17, sorry, it says, um, as he responds in this way, it says, this shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. It shamed his enemies, but people rejoiced in all the things he did. And then verse 18, then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? Hasn't he just illustrated what the kingdom of God is like? He's in the synagogue, he's teaching, he's with the people. He sees a woman who's sick, who needs to be set free, who is oppressed. And then he, he speaks a blessing over her and lays his hands on her and she's miraculously healed. 
And then what does he say? How can I illustrate what the kingdom of God is like? He's already done it. He's done it so powerfully. And yet he pulls back and so simplistically says, the kingdom of God is like a, it's like a mustard seed. It goes in the ground, and as it grows, it becomes a tree, and where the birds of the air can come and sit in its branches and find safety and rest and shelter. And then it's almost like the quiet moment as everybody's sort of pondering, what is happening here? He goes, kingdom of God is also like yeast or some leaven that goes in, you know, goes in the dough, and as it's in the flour, it starts to work. And what he's showing here is the power of both who he is, but showing that there is a radically different way that the kingdom of God is at work. And verse 17 captures it so well. It says, this shamed his enemies and all the people rejoiced at the things he did. So when we encounter the power of who Jesus is, we realize that, you know, there, there is an order to things that we think we understand. There's a way that we think we understand that God works, that God works in our lives, that God works in the world. We think we know what we expect the church to be. We think we understand and what we expect Christians and religious leaders to be. And we think we know all the standards that have been set up and created. And yet what we realize through Jesus and through the power of both his healing touch and the stories that he tells is that there's a deeper way that he's at work and there's an authority that he carries as being the son of God where he's able to step into a place and in one sense undermine status quo and then at the same time actually reveal something that is so much powerful so much stronger and bring us into a place of radical transformation and healing it's like in this moment, Jesus is, is doing what he's done over and over again, of bringing his hearers into a place of going like, faith? Faith is something that is, is so far beyond what we can really comprehend and understand, and yet it is so simple at the same time. It makes us think of like Matthew 17, where Jesus is teaching in another way, and he challenges his followers as they've been out trying to do what he does, and, and they're, they're getting frustrated, and they're trying to figure out how, how to honor him and, and, and come into the fullness of what it means to be empowered. And in Matthew 17, 20, Jesus says, you don't have enough faith, he told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as what? A mustard seed. You could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now, is it literally about clearing mountains out of the way? No. Again, parable. It's figurative. He's saying all it takes is a small measure to see something amazing and powerful happen. And so in the simplicity of this God-man, this, this God-made human, God taking on flesh, the incarnation of Christ Jesus, he's saying it's so simple. He's saying, I am here, I, like, a, like a mustard seed, I'm here and I'm teaching you and I'm showing you the power of what it means to know God and the fullness of God. And so as we hear these stories, we should be brought into this place of understanding the authority and the power that comes in Christ Jesus. In that moment when he, when he heals that woman, he, he steps into a place of setting her free. In a biblical context, when, when healing is talked about, it's not always just the physical healing of the physical body. It's understanding healing in this place of, of like a restoring or a being set free. A lot of times in the, in the ancient world, in the biblical context, when it talks about being healed, it also talks about spirits and demons and, and oppression and, and people being restored and, and giving new life. And so what we see in Jesus is he's healing. He's not just going around and making people's physical bodies okay again. 
What is he doing? He's restoring their, their, their life, their soul. He's setting their minds free from oppression. He's, he's restoring their ability to function and have, have fullness in their life. And as he's doing it, what is he doing? It's like yeast that starts to permeate the, the dough. It's like faith that begins to just exude out. As people encounter Jesus in this way, it transforms them. It restores them like a little mustard seed that begins to grow. Let's look at one more story tied to, to all of this that we're talking about this morning. And this is in John chapter five. And this is where I wanna bring things to a close for us this morning. As we think about mustard seeds and, and yeast or leaven and, and the way it's all working here and Jesus healing and restoring, what we see is that Jesus was operating out of authority that wasn't given to him by earthly structures, by, by the religious system of his day, but he's operating out of the authority that God had given him and who he was walking in the fullness of that. And so as we look at John 15, another time where Jesus, he's, he's, he's operating in and around one of the feast days, holy days. And in John 15, verse number one, I'm gonna read a few verses here to capture the whole story, but it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So again, he's in Jerusalem. He's in this sacred, this holy place. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. It was a five roofed colonnade. And so basically it's a pool and around it were colonnades where, where people would sit and, and wait. And, and what we'll see here in verse number three, it says in these, these, these colonnades, these spaces, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. So people who were, were physically um, disabled in some sort of way, who were limited, who weren't able to, to function as uh, others would in society. And so they're, they're there and they're, they're waiting around this pool. And what are they waiting for? It, it talks about it here in a little bit later, but um, there was a belief that, that God, the Spirit of God would come down and trouble the waters, like stir up the waters. And when it happened, whoever enters into the waters would be healed, would be restored. And so these people would, would sit and rest and wait, just waiting, expecting for their moment when God would trouble the, the, the healing pool, the water would be stirred up and they could get in and maybe they would be healed and they would be restored. And so Jesus steps into this, in, this setting and, and in verse number five, the scripture says this, one man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. What does scripture say? Now that day was the Sabbath. So it's like he's at it again. He's instigating, right? He's healing on the Lord's day, the Sabbath day. Verse number 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. And he answered them, the man who healed me, he answered them, the man who healed me, said, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. In verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. 
So what is happening in this moment here? We see Jesus again healing and we can capture it as like, well, this is a healing story, right? Like Jesus saw a person in need. He touched them. He healed them. They were restored. And then they go and they, they tell others about it. But what have we seen about Jesus when he's in this mode of healing, of restoring, of setting free? What he's doing is he's revealing not just his purpose, but he's revealing the way that God's kingdom here and now is at work. That mustard seed, that yeast, it's, it's going out, it's permeating. And what it's doing is it's healing, it's restoring, it's setting free. And so for this man being healed on the Sabbath, do you think he cared that it was the Sabbath? Do you think he cared that the religious law said, you know, you're not allowed to roll up your mat and carry anything on the Sabbath day? No, he had spent his entire, he had spent 38 years of his life sitting there, waiting, waiting for something to happen. And then a man comes up to him that he doesn't even know who this man is and just ask him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Put yourself in that place. Someone comes to you, 38 years of being sick, of being healed, of waiting daily for your moment that might be your miracle moment, and somebody comes to you and says, do you want to be healed? What would be your response? Yes, right? But that's not what he said, is it? He didn't say yes. He all of a sudden, he, he turns it, and he starts giving the, the reason, sir, I have no one to put me in the water when the water's troubled, and I, get, and I try, and I get there, and I can't. And it's, he's thinking like, you know, he's being asked like why he hasn't already been healed. And he's like trying to give the reason of like, well, I can't because this and that. And he's like almost giving not excuses, but he's trying to explain his situation. And Jesus is like, okay, get up, take up your bed and walk. He's encountering the power of God in the person of Jesus. And he doesn't realize the question being asked of him is a healing set free type question. He's taking it as accusation. He's taking it as, as, as questioning why he hasn't already been healed. And yet what is happening in this moment is his healing is about to happen without the water, without trying to get to the steps, without competition against each other. He's encountering Jesus Christ and Jesus sets him free. This is what the kingdom of God is. The Spirit of God speaks. Do you want to be healed? The yeast is working, is permeating through the dough. Sometimes it takes a long time. But when it's there, when it's arrived, when it's full, it's ready. Like a seed going into the ground, sometimes it takes a long time. But as it's growing, it's growing. It's becoming the power and the testimony of the kingdom of God, the way that God works that the branches of that tree that's growing the kingdom of God can support life. It's a place of safety, a place of shelter. And so in this moment now, it's almost like Jesus is, is speaking to us by the Holy Spirit. As we hear his stories, as we, as we think of our own life, and as we think of those around us, and it's like Jesus has stepped up to us and he's asking, do you want to be healed? And we can hear that question, do you want to be healed? And we can, we can hear it in a way of thinking, okay, well, maybe that means like, you know, do I want to be healed physically? Well, maybe I don't have anything physical going on. But remember, in a biblical way, what does healing look like? Sometimes it's in the physical body. Sometimes it's in our mind, in our spirit, in our soul. Sometimes it's being healed and restored in our identity and our understanding of who we are as a child of God. And so today, it's like the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and saying, do you want to be healed? Are you going to allow the, the yeast and the dough to keep that work that it's doing and allow the time and allow the process? Do you want to be healed? 
as the mustard seed has gone into the ground and as it's growing, like, do you want to be healed? Do you want to encounter the power of who Jesus is? Jesus who can touch a woman who's been sick and bound for so long and her be restored and healed regardless of expectation or religious expectation or culture. Like, do you want to be healed? This is the kingdom of God. Do you want to be restored? Like, in the, again, in the biblical sense, it's this idea of being made whole, being made complete. That is the work of Jesus Christ. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 10, and this is where we'll end this morning. In Romans chapter 10, verse number nine, he says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be healed. You will be restored. You will be made complete. Verse number 10, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved, that you are redeemed, that you are restored. So that's the opportunity to us this morning. As we come to the close of the service this morning, I really felt it in my heart that we should receive communion together. And so I'm gonna ask Orlando if he would help distribute the communion elements. And they're the all-in-one cups. And so um, as we pass those out, you just take it and you can hold on to it and I'll lead us through taking that in just a moment. But I want us to remain in an in attitude, a posture of just listening to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us now. Because there's something so powerful about these parable stories of Jesus that we can read it in a cursory way. We can just take it, you know, at, at, a, at a glance and go, oh, okay, yeah, seed grows tree. Yeast rises dough. A, a lamp, oil lamp, it shouldn't be hidden. It should be up where it can illuminate. You know, seed falls on good soil, grows good. Seed falls on bad soil, doesn't grow. Like, we can look at it in a transactional way and go, yeah, 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 I get it. Or we can allow it to take its time, to permeate, to go deep, like that yeast that begins to work through and through. So today, in a, in a figurative way, I truly believe that the Holy Spirit is, is troubling those waters again, is asking us, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now is the time, today is the day where God can set you free, where God can restore what seems like was lost that could never be restored. Today becomes the day where that thing that feels like it was, it was just so abruptly ended and, and shut down that God wants to create new life and new growth. Those places that feel like you've been held in bondage for so long, like Jesus just in that story describes it, the woman of, of being oppressed by the enemy for so long that she's doubled over and can't even stand up under the weight of it. And with the touch of Jesus and the power of who he is, She's restored, and what does scripture say? She stood upright. She was healed. She was restored. She, the burden was lifted. Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness. Jesus, I thank you that you are our healer. God, I thank you for the powerful way that you work not just in our world generally, but the way that you're working in our lives personally. Jesus, we thank you that you came and gave of yourself so fully and so freely, like that seed that goes into the soil and dies, 
that then, again, can be lifted up and, and, and grow into something new. Jesus Christ, your life brought new life. So today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we hear that question, do you want to be healed? We respond and we say, yes, Lord. We release our explanations. We lay down our defenses. We get rid of all of the, the justification, the yeah, but. And we step into a place of wholeness and freedom in you. Jesus, I believe that you are working today. And so God, would today be the day that you heal and that you set people free? God, would today be the day that you, that you restore, that you bring a, a new level of understanding of who you are, a place of freedom that hasn't been experienced ever in life before? I pray, Jesus, that you continue that work of making all things new that is promised in your scripture. As we turn to, to receiving communion today, we realize that in the remembrance of your death, we find life. Jesus, we remember that it's your broken body that brings healing and restoration to our body. That it's by your blood that was shed that we find life. And so God, as we receive from you today in communion, we do so with thankfulness and gratitude in our hearts. If you haven't done so already, you can open the, the communion cup. Paul writes of this. He says, I pass on to you what, what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we take the bread, this wafer representing Jesus' body, and we break it with our teeth, and we consume it, we do so with a sense of awe and wonder of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who so freely gave his life for us. Would you take the, the bread now? We thank you, Jesus, for the surrender it was found in you. The example that was set by you. Living in a way of humility and simplicity and yet with all the power of God flowing through you. To be able to stand up under opposition. To be able to hold your ground in a non-violent, non-combative way, but just a way of holding your ground and saying, this is the kingdom of God. Here and now. And Paul continues in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. A new covenant, a new agreement, a new way of living and operating in the kingdom of God. Not a place of obligation, not out of a place of heaviness, not out of a place of brokenness, or bondage, but out of a new covenant, a new relationship through Jesus Christ and his blood. Would you take the cup now? Let's take just a moment now in the silence of this space and encourage you to communicate your own prayer, your own thoughts to God. Receiving that healing touch from God and the Holy Spirit.
Jesus, so many times it feels as though our expectations, especially culturally, is that when, when you're working a miracle, it's supposed to be big and loud. Draw attention. Phenomenal. Put it on the, the front page of the newspaper. Blast it across the internet. And yet what's truly happening is day by day, God, you are working miraculously in our lives. Daily, God, you come to us and say, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free? Do you want to be restored? And then you respond to us and you say, get up, take up your mat, walk. Now's the time. I'm working in you. God, in the simplest of ways, you are at work, like a mustard seed, like yeast. God, in the, in the smallest ways, you're causing amazing things to happen. And so, God, we live in the tension of that, how something so small can have an outcome that is so disproportionate to its beginnings. And so I pray, God, today, in this moment of faith, would you be doing something new in us, we pray. God, we surrender once again to you. We say, yes, Lord. We are ready to walk. We're ready to take up our mat. We're ready to leap with joy for what you have done in us. And when people say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, how do you have that kind of freedom? I thought this, I thought that. And people begin to question. We can say, all I know is that I was here and this is what my life was. And then I experienced the healing touch of Jesus Christ. Like the blind man who was given sight. I was blind and now I can see. I couldn't walk and now I can walk. A woman who was, who was hunched over and couldn't stand up is now made able to stand fully upright and healed and made whole. And so God, would you lift the burden off of us? God, would you continue that work of shining your light into the interior of our lives? Illuminate our hearts and our lives, we pray, and make us whole again. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.